the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, yes, indeedy, and hello, 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 welcome, good to have you with us. It is uh, Thursday already. My goodness, time flies when you're having fun. It is Thursday, the sixth day of December already at five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m. You know what that means? It's time for two hours designed to... Help cure your insomnia. No, <laughs> it's not that. It has its moments, but hopefully, hopefully not in today's show at least. Well, how are you? Good to have you with us today. I uh, want to start off with a hearty thank you to all of our friends and listeners over the last couple of days that have helped partner with the Bay Area Rescue Mission. Uh, did an enormous job yesterday. And, of course, it's not too late. That opportunity to provide toys for um, needy and homeless kids and for uh, uh, meals for Needy and uh, and hurting families still continues now through December the 24th. And if you want to get in on the action, you can simply go to kfax.com, thank you, and click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner there to give your gift. But again, I wanted to start out tonight by um, sharing my appreciation on behalf of the Bay Area Rescue Mission, uh, Reverend John Anderson, its executive director, most importantly, all the individuals and families that you're going to feed and help and encourage and bring hope to and be a blessing to this Christmas. Very much appreciated. So thank you. Speaking of Christmas, Paula Dresden's going to drop by later on in tonight's program, talking a bit about uh, Bethlehem AD coming to Redwood City December the 21st. This is an annual event. A lot of folks kind of mark the beginning of the Christmas uh, celebration by attending this uh, live nativity. It's amazing. If you've never seen it, I encourage you to check it out, and we'll tell you more about that later on in tonight's program. When a stranger appears at your door, what should you do? We'll talk a bit about the Matthew 25 perspective on this from the broader sense as we have a lot of talk these days and discussion about immigration and caravans and border walls and things of this sort. We thought we would invite Kent Anon, who is the senior fellow of a humanitarian disaster at the Institute of Wheaton College and um, has also authored a new book called You, Me, Welcomed, or You Welcomed Me, I'm sorry, um, Loving Refugees and Migrants Because God First Loved Us. We're not going to talk politics. We're going to talk theology tonight. We're going to get to that conversation a little bit later on. Well, if nobody's wished you a Merry Christmas, let me be one of the first ones to do so. Christmas trees, manger scenes, Merry Christmas greetings. It's that time of year again. Oddly, though, some might say, shh, shh you can't say that. 
It's illegal to say that. You be careful. You're on public property. You may not wish somebody Merry Christmas. You can only wish them Happy Holidays, which I've always thought was ironic since Happy Holidays actually refers to Holy Days. Largely the people that buy into the notion that Christmas has disappeared because somebody's taken away from it from us are those that don't understand that when somebody says, no, you can't, that in reality, constitutionally, yes, you can. You just don't know the difference. Let's find out more as we talk about learning the basics of Christmas from constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus, and as always, Counselor Great to have you with us, and may I be the first to violate the law by saying Merry Christmas to you. Did we lose him? Oh, there he is. I agree. Uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Good to hear you say that, and, and, and good for people, I think, to learn that all of this talk, I think we kind of bought into a bit of a lie for years. We've been told you can't sing Christmas carols, you can't talk about Jesus in school during the Christmas season, you can't wish somebody Merry Christmas if you work for the government, all of this are largely bold-faced lies that we've just bought into. You're absolutely right. I mean, Christmas is actually a nationally recognized holiday. So it's it's legal and constitutional to say Merry Christmas. Uh, that's uh, it's, it's not... Uh, you know, they can't make that illegal in public places or people who work for the government or in public schools. Uh, acknowledgement of Christmas is, is legal and it is constitutional. Uh, and in fact, um, you know, uh, government buildings and public places can actually have a large uh, nativity scene display. Uh, in the case of Lynch versus Donnelly, the court said, um, yeah, you can, you can do that. Uh, just, you know, make sure you've got some uh, secular symbols like a Christmas tree with it. Um, but uh, even the government itself can, can put up a, a nice Christmas display, and that is constitutional. And, and so, you know, again, it goes back to the notion a lot of people get caught up in this so-called separation of church and state, which is an absolute fallacy. It is the Establishment Clause that, in a nutshell, tells us that the government cannot endorse or establish any particular uh, religion over another, but that isn't to say that somehow or therefore religion needs to be completely sanitized from the public square. If anything, it sounds as if what the Founding Fathers were trying to do was to make sure that that didn't happen. Right, right. And uh, and people need to realize um, that there's, there's nothing unconstitutional about uh, the government um, recognizing or acknowledging uh, things that may have tremendous religious and spiritual significance to many individuals. Uh, that doesn't disqualify something just because it has a strong religious significance to so many Americans. Now, let, let's talk about some of the misnomers here. Uh, for example, in the workplace. So if my cubicle mate shows up to work tomorrow uh, wearing a brightly colored reindeer uh, vest that has a, a bright red blinking nose on it uh, and, and the sign, Merry Xmas, uh, that's fine. Uh, if I show up to work with um, a maybe a, a simple cross hanging around my neck, and I'm saying that I'm I'm wearing this in remembrance of of Christ in Christmas, my employer can't tell me to take off the cross and yet let the guy with the gaudy uh, reindeer outfit continue, can he? Yeah, right. And and um, the fact is, uh, there's tremendous religious freedom in the workplace. And, in fact, we at Pacific Justice Institute have prepared a, a, a DVD, a training video. It's actually for free on our website called Faith in the Workplace. It talks all about how businesses can be run in a way that's very friendly to faith with their customers, their employees, their community. 
Um, so that that's that is constitutional. I want and it and it is legal. And um, for employers to start saying no, you can't wear that around your neck. That that's on the, that's right there dealing with um, and creating religious harassment. Um, that would not be a smart thing for an employer to do. Walk us through where we do have to be cautious, perhaps. If, for example, if my employer says, okay, from uh, the end of Thanksgiving through the 25th, when we answer the telephone at work, we say happy holidays, or we're instructed to uh, greet clients with happy holidays. But I, as a believer, feel as if I'm more comfortable wishing, wishing people Merry Christmas. Can an employer control speech like that? Well, yeah, in the private sector, I would say yes. Um, the employer can say, this is how we greet our customers, uh, this is uh, how we market ourselves, this is what I want you to say. Like Macy's, for example, they do that all the time. It drives me crazy. Uh, so I don't shop at Macy's very much, partly because of that. It's just, you know, I, to me it's... Uh, but, but nonetheless, um, employers have a tremendous discretion. Now, if you deal with the government, though, the government, the government said, oh, you can say uh, Happy Holidays, but you can't say Merry Christmas. The government's little, really on thin ice because they're under greater scrutiny uh, under the Constitution uh, and uh, when it comes to also like hostility to religion. And by saying you can say this, but you can't say that, uh, that could get government employers actually in trouble much more than the private sector employees. But if, they, if the government, if the employer, if either employer, government, private, or public, um, if they don't have you know, clear uh, you know, uh, limitations, particularly the private sector, then even you know the private sector uh, employees can say Merry Christmas and should feel free to. Give me your sense when it comes to one of the old debates, and that is Christmas decorations, particularly as it relates to manger scenes. Uh, if I decide I'm going to put up a lighted manger scene in the front of my home, for example, on my property, can my neighbor complain to the city and say, gee, I look out my window and I see that Jesus display every day and I find her defensive, I want my neighbor to take it down? Well, they can complain, but they probably won't get very far uh, <laughs> because uh, it's, it, it, it would be very difficult for cities and local government to uh, prevent individuals uh, for a limited time, uh, for a holiday time, uh, to be able to, to put up a, a Christmas display or a nativity scene display uh, in their front yard. And if they have any pushback, they should contact Pacific Justice Institute immediately. And you mentioned about resources available on the website. You've got a an exhaustive Christmas question and answer uh, primer that walks you through a lot of the basics. We've covered a few here today, but you go far uh, deeper in depth. And you also mentioned about the uh, video available on uh, Faith in the Workplace. Again, point us to where that's available. Yeah, if you go to our website and, uh, and you and you type in uh, PJI, you know, PGI.org, and then you put uh, at the top it says Get Help. Um, and there uh, you'll find it uh, right there in, uh, under that, that category. Um, it be, be, you often have to, to click another button, which is uh, Books and Brochures. Um, but so if it's not in that first category, you'll go to the very bottom, it says Books and Brochures, and then you'll see a whole other list of resources, including like our, our book Reclaim Your School, talks about you know how kids can celebrate Christmas at school among other things and uh, a lot of other really valuable resources all of it's without charge we make that available to to people um, so they can use that and be be equipped to live their faith um, confidently 
And again, those resources available through the Pacific Justice Institute at pji.org or simply pacificjustice.org. Remind you, too, that they do all their work throughout the year pro bono. And as you're thinking about the end of your giving and appreciate the resource that is made available, the uh, weekly updates that Brad Dacus shares with us here on KFAX, then uh, be mindful that they need your support as well. And before the year wraps up, maybe dropping a little uh, gift in an envelope to send them a Christmas gift will be very much appreciated. Online at pacificjustice.org. And our thanks to constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad, Merry Christmas, Dacus. All right, let's get a look at uh, traffic here, shall we? Traffic, traffic, who's got traffic? I bet I bet Michael Bennett's got a look at traffic here. Michael, what's going on out there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we are back. Let's talk about caravans, shall we? Caravans of criminals and bad hombres invading our southern border. You think of it, it sounds like we need to sharpen our pitchforks, light our torches, and prepare for the worst. Certainly, illegal immigration is, well, first and foremost, illegal. It puts an unnecessary, sometimes unbearable burden on public health services, police protection, and social services. It creates, well, it creates bottlenecks and shifts services from the legal taxpayers who paid for those services to illegal entrants who, quite frankly, did not. Illegal immigrant sounds like someone who should be locked up or kicked out. But what if we change the terminology? What if we change it to refugee? Are any of those people already here illegally or heading here not with malintent, but rather fleeing the effects of malintent by others, be the others drug lords, criminals, or a corrupt government? As you ponder that, here's another question to ponder. How do we teach our kids the difference between the rule of law for lawbreakers and compassion for the stranger that is a refugee? We talked tonight briefly not about the political angle of all of this, because to do so would probably resolve nothing and get a lot of folks upset. But we talk about this from a biblical perspective. If there was perhaps ever a topic of what would Jesus do, then the issue of immigrants and refugees is certainly one to be pondered. You welcomed me. Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us. That is a brand new book, just newly published by InterVarsity Press. Kent Anand is its author. Kent, by the way, is a senior fellow at the Humanitarian Disaster Institute of Wheaton College. He is co-founder of Haiti Partners, a nonprofit focused on education in Haiti. He's the author of a number of best-selling books, including this latest one, You Welcomed Me. And Kent, let me welcome you. Thank you, Craig. Great to be with you. Uh, why first this topic? This seems to be the one thing that gets Americans more upset, more angry at each other than any others. People either screaming, tear down the wall or build another one. And so why tackle even a topic as as, as controversial as this one? Uh, I really appreciated your introduction to the topic here, Craig. And I think it's for precisely that, that reason is 
you know, people can have such different angles on how to think through this topic about refugees and immigrants and our border. Um, but also, as I, I watched it and as it, the debate's been happening for the last, you know, for decades in our country, but heated up even in the last two or three years, just thought, oh, we, we start as Christians to have our viewpoints and opinions shaped almost exclusively by politics is a danger and by politicians and by media and and we really want to make sure that we're listening closely to scripture and listening closely to god's heart for people and so i thought oh this is a moment to to take a step back and hopefully help people to think about this uh with a little bit better perspective uh, whatever angle you're coming from politically all right let's talk about a few of those those angles and i i guess first and foremost uh, we, we need to set some ground rules here today, and that is that, you know, it, it's easy for this conversation, Kent, to devolve into the rule of law and things like that. And, and nobody's suggesting here that somehow we need to dispose of laws or that uh, American sovereignty is is something that's meaningless. I think anybody that would argue, well, we don't need borders, we need to just open the whole thing up, uh, is probably lying when they say that or an absolute utter fool who shouldn't be allowed out of the house. That said, let's take the Matthew 25 perspective. And I think the timing on this is, uh, is a unique one because, um, you know, as we're here marking Christmas and the birth of Jesus, um, mm-hmm. here was a guy who um, spent some time as a refugee in a pretty serious fashion at a very early age, Jesus fleeing Herod's threats. And ironically, there are some strong parallels. You might not pick this up on the evening news, but there are some strong parallels to many of the people that are coming to the United States or have come to the United States. Tell us more. Yes, absolutely. If you think of, of the, this caravan, for example, uh, as well as the situation of many refugees and people who have been able to have been forced to flee their homes, about 66 million people in the world, and we have these few thousand who are down at the uh, at the border now, and thinking of Jesus, as you said, in Christmas time, it's this uh, young couple who has a has a child, and then suddenly realizes that they're under danger, and they want to uh, flee, not because they want to, not because they're trying to take advantage of a system or bypass border laws, it's because their son, you know, who was Jesus, was in danger. His life was in danger, and they couldn't protect him against the circumstances around him. And so I think you're absolutely right in this time of Christmas and generosity and and thinking of, of Jesus coming into the world. It, it does challenge us to pause and think about um, the situation of what those families are, who those families are who are at our border. Is it a problem of perspective, Kent? And I pose that question because oftentimes when this debate comes up, even amongst evangelicals, it's those people coming here. And we have a lot of the emphasis on the coming here part with virtually no understanding of all of where they are coming from, what circumstances that they are trying to escape from. And, and I've always thought, gee, I wonder how the staunchest of the uh, rule of law folks would be if um, we could for a moment wave the proverbial magic wand and change the set of circumstances, um, and it is they stuck in another country trying to find uh, solstice, trying to find refuge, trying to find a future for their own family. If all of a sudden their opinions 
uh, on this matter of immigration wouldn't change drastically when couched in terms of desperate people desperate to save their own families. That's exactly how I see it, Craig. And I've had the experience of being in refugee camps, um, of being with people in circumstances like that, and two things come to mind is, one, uh, that all of us can do it, whether it's reading a story or seeing something on the news or if you know a neighbor or go to meet families who are in this circumstance. And if we pause long enough, this phrase, it's a chapter in my book, You Welcome Me, comes to mind is, oh, that could be me. And then once we're thinking, oh, that could be me, like pretty quickly we're taken into this second commandment, like this this central tenant of who we're supposed to be in our lives, and that's to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so to think, well, if that were me, in that circumstances, how would I want to be loved? And I think that does, like you said, that's kind of, that's uncomfortable, because just saying, oh, let everybody in, or... Oh, uh, oh! It's the rule of law only. Like suddenly, this gets deeper and it gets personal, and it gets to think about the way Jesus uh, has told us to leave a lead a good life. And and so, if we think, oh, that could be me, or you think one step away, of what if that were my sister or my cousin or my 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 best friends who are at the border in that circumstance, or I was fleeing with my child. And there was no way for me to stay at home safely. And I had to leave behind my home, and I had to leave behind school, and I had to, for many people, leave behind their professions. And and then to go and, and walk even, or get a ride, and leave everything behind, how would I want to be received? And that, like you said, that doesn't mean we get rid of borders or we get rid of laws, but it does put a, a challenge, and I'd say an opportunity, for us to think through in a completely different terms, how do we want to respond then to people when that could be me and we have an opportunity to love our neighbors as we would want to be loved? Almost inevitably, when I hear people that are very staunch in terms of the rule of law and wish to hear nothing of talk of compassion or refugees, it's all about, well, they broke the law, there's a process, they need to go back, it's just, you know, uh, they they suddenly have, uh, have become, uh, uh, you know, award-winning Boy Scouts when it comes to doing the right thing. And when I when I meet people like that, one of two thoughts crosses my mind. Here, here is somebody that is enormously ignorant, is perhaps devoid of human compassion, and is just putting on the dog, um, is maybe a little xenophobic, maybe a little racist, or perhaps somebody that just simply has never been exposed to what the rest of the world lives like. And the kind of circumstances uh, that people struggle with. I mean, you know, you and I will get upset because our cell phone stopped working in the middle of an important conversation as we were discussing where we're going on vacation next year. And we get very upset and very angry and we hop on Facebook and tell everybody what a lousy phone carrier we have. And yet there's a good percentage of the world every night that's trying to figure out which of the three kids is going to eat because there's only food enough for two. And where's the meal going to be coming from tomorrow? And it looks like it's rain. Where will we find shelter? And I'm not just talking about the handful of homeless individuals in the United States, but people that in many third world countries live like that every day. Boy, talk about the, the gulf between the problems of the first world and the problems of the third world. 
Yes, exactly. I, I think that's one of the issues is exactly that. It's kind of not knowing other people's realities and the, the extremes that they're running from, not by choice, really, but because they're, they're having to flee for survival. So I think that's one. I think a second one is that people don't have relationships uh, with people in these circumstances. So this is related to what you said, but slightly different. And there have been uh, surveys and research done, and, and often the number one indicator of how people what people's political perspective on immigration will be is um, if and what kind of relationships they have with people who are immigrants. So I think that makes it personal and, and starts to affect the empathy like we've talked about. And then I think uh, a third is that there are, are, if people are being shaped by narratives, especially narratives and ideas of fear, then I think that that's fair. Maybe they aren't hearing other voices that are saying, oh, actually, the the threat of a refugee terrorist attack is hundreds of times less uh, likely than the fact, even thousands of times less likely than you'll be killed by lightning or by a shark attack. You know, but these, but there are these things that can can make us fearful, and these arguments about our economics. Uh, you know, that we're going to lose our jobs if immigrants come in, and I think it's. So it's one, not knowing the reality of other people. Second is, you know, people don't have relationships with immigrants and maybe we don't tap into our empathy or understand their stories. And then third, not doing the, the arguments to say there really are good counter arguments um, to why we can be both welcoming and wise. And I spent a whole chapter in You Welcome Me taking on specifically issues like, oh, they'll take our jobs. Like, let's address that concern and not insult anybody if they feel that fear. I think it's a fair fear. Let's look at it rationally and as well as biblically and looking at research as well. And same with the aspect of uh, being in danger to violence and what it will do to change our culture. And I think we can respect people who have these concerns, but also say, oh, let's, uh, let's address them with relationships with learning more about the world and also taking seriously and looking at the truth of, of what what's behind these concerns and whether they're legitimate or not. Well, and as you suggest there, that both of these seem to be attended by two issues, largely either fear or ignorance and or both. A lot of the fear at levels is very legitimate. Many other levels border lines on uh, the ridiculous, uh, outright paranoia. And in terms of ignorance, you know, there's either, as you say, we don't know an immigrant, so we are ignorant about them, or we're ignorant of our own history. There are few people that I've met in the United States in my life or in the Bay Area in my life that aren't related to refugees. It may be great, 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 great grandfather who was a refugee. But the irony is that almost all of us were refugees. Now, I'm good old Yankee American born and bred in the U.S. of A, but I'm the grandson of a refugee. I'd like to think that at the turn of the last century, my grandparents were escaping some pretty dire economic circumstances in northern Italy and made their way to the United States for a better life. I know there's where people put on the brakes and, well, they did it legally. And again, the rule of law thing, I think, sometimes gets in the way of discussing what the compassionate side ought to look like. And, you know, to be sure, America has an immigration problem that we failed to address for many, many years, like the federal deficit. But sometimes I also have to wonder with some of our attitudes if we also have a bit of a, a theological problem. 
we'll pause on that point. And uh, as you try to decide just how upset you are with that remark, we're going to get a look at traffic. Maybe it'll upset you even worse. I don't know. Is it all that bad out there? Not quite the shopping frenzy just yet. Let's see what's going on. Oh, spoke too soon. Now, I want you, Jarrell's responsible for that. That just scared you, Mr. Martin. It's all on you. <laughs> and I, I told you, don't drive the KFAX board with your eyes closed. My goodness. Hard to find good help these days. Get a look at traffic right now. And while Jarrell prepares to uh, pull out his driver's license uh, and registration, we're going to get a look at the latest. Michael Bennett, save us, please. (laughs) And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You welcomed me, loving refugees and immigrants because God first loved us and we are visiting with author Kent Anon. Kent, by the way, has a website, com, and um, currently serves as senior fellow at the Humanitarian Disaster Institute of Wheaton College, co-founder of Haiti Partners, a nonprofit focused on education in Haiti. Boy, I bet that was an eye-opener for you, first trip into Haiti. Yes, my wife and I, you, you kind of going back to what you mentioned earlier, my wife and I moved there. We visited my parents who were up in the north, took off our winter jackets, and within 24 hours we were living out in the countryside in Haiti with a subsistence farming family, no running water, no electricity, and a tin roof, and we lived with them for seven months. So we wow. got our eyes opened uh, seriously, but it also uh, helped, helped me just to see this issue of foreigners and refugees and people in different parts of the world with much more compassion and respect. You find at the end of the day, at least I certainly do, and I've done an enormous amount of overseas traveling. And uh, while I've been fortunate to go to some really nice destination, I've also spent a lot of time uh, in some places that are not exactly tourist uh, attractions, like Haiti, for example. Uh, do you find that it's, it's softened your attitude and that you've come to believe that this issue is not as cut and dry as some would like us to believe? In other words, put up a wall, that'll solve it. You know, it, it it, it it sounds like good words, and certainly, you know, I'm I'm all for protecting our borders and addressing the illegal immigration issue. It's just where and how we do it, and doing it to never lose sight of the compassionate side of extreme circumstances. That really makes it a challenge, doesn't it? It does. I think it softens softens one's heart, and in a similar way, if someone if someone have a relationship with someone locally or a neighbor or a colleague at work, it softens your heart. And I do want to add as well that, you know, sometimes I think it feels like we're protecting ourselves if we want to be strict and not let people in. Uh, But I think we miss out on the aspect of compassion and helping other people. But I really, and I think this is theologically solid from Matthew 25 and my experience and many other ways we see in Scripture, we're also missing out on a chance in a way to meet God. Uh, because God is present in those who are um, are without clothes, Jesus says in Matthew 25, and without food, and, and is the stranger, and that's where the title of the book comes from. Uh, but you welcomed me, we welcome God. So, so I think when we think about this, we, we want to think about we're missing out on a, on a chance to give compassion and help with any, someone else, but I really think we're missing out on an opportunity to be, to be shaped by God and to discover beauty and richness of relationships uh, that we miss out if we try to protect ourselves too much. And so if we're wise and welcoming, um, then it leads to beautiful things. As I mentioned before the break, it's always struck me how a land of immigrants that 
more accurately put, we're all pretty much refugees to a great degree, are so paranoid of refugees, and yet it, it, I guess it puts into perspective the notion that the great-great-great-great-grandchildren of people who stole land from other people are now concerned about their being, land being stolen. <laughs> and I think that's what's beautiful, the way you said that just now and, and earlier as well, is you know, that's, that's the way it's framed for, um, God frames it for Israel as well. So like in Leviticus 19, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as native-born, and then this part, love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. And so I think that remembering our own stories and our you know, great-great-grandparents or whoever came over and, and that they found a place to be welcome and make a new life for themselves and ultimately for us generations later, that we want to remember that story with grace and gratitude and have that shape how we welcome others as well. Does it help to also ask questions? There's so much dialogue today politically about what can we do? How can we keep them out? As opposed to stopping and ask our questions, well, why do they want to come in in the first place? Mm. I think, yeah, why do they want to come in in the first place? And then even if we can't just open the border wide open, like how can we, how can we make the change so that we do this process in a, in a humane way? And how can we pe- treat people at the border who are, requesting asylum i think i think you're exactly right if we can flip the question it doesn't solve everything or make you know take away all complexity but it can guide us in a in a more beautiful and loving way into the complexity and 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 again i think taking the time to learn their stories uh, typically when i hear somebody that's really staunch uh, anti-immigrant uh, and and shows not a hint of compassion. I'm thinking, you're someone who's never been exposed to the full story, or never ever really met someone. Uh, years ago, I met a gentleman from Guatemala who came to the United States, smuggled in the trunk of a car, came here illegally to find work here illegally. His father and mother ran a bakery during a earthquake, which. Guatemala is infamous for. Um, the bakery collapsed. His father was killed. That left his mother with six children, no means of living because everything that they had was destroyed. He has a younger sibling who is handicapped. So here now is a single parent, no job, no money, a handicapped child to care for, and a husband that needs to be buried. And so the eldest of the boys, this man that I'm speaking of, escaped Guatemala to come to the United States illegally to earn money with one goal, to send money back home so that he, feeling as if he was sort of now the, the, the eldest breadwinner, could help support his family, support his mother, support his younger siblings. And he would cry if you would talk about the fact that he could never go home because if he left the United States to go to Guatemala to visit, surely he could never return back into the United States. So he had sacrificed watching his brothers and sisters grow up and spending time with nieces and nephews or uh, the rest of the family, separated from his mother, only enjoyed the occasional telephone call, sacrificed everything, put everything at risk, and outside of just his basic living expenses, took every nickel he earned and sent it back home to care for his mother and family. Now, I don't know, is that guy an illegal immigrant that needs to be kicked out of the country? 
or is it demonstrative of a young man who cared so much about his family that he was willing to sacrifice all because he loved them so much and he felt a responsibility to care for their needs when he knew that there was no other way? Yes, and, and there's so many stories like that, Craig, and so many people who uh, I'm sure your listeners know, and I think sometimes even people will know someone like that, but it doesn't translate into thinking through the political issues or you know what their positions are. But I, I think that's what part of what we miss out on is if we we kind of quickly you know put our hackles up and we're we're sort of defensive about the position. We think, oh, we miss out on stories exactly like that one of people who are sacrificial, who are are incredibly loving, who are hard workers, workers in our community, and and uh, and good neighbors. And I think we don't want to miss out on that. I mean, think we need to solve all kinds of uh, legal issues and, and fix a broken system. Um, but I think we don't want to miss out on, on the kind of neighbors that we can have who can inspire us to live better and, and hopefully who we can help as well. This is a perspective, and as I articulated at the beginning of our conversation, that is leaving aside for a moment all of the political discussions all of the economic discussions, because you can turn to any channel, you can find anybody that is willing to debate that ad nauseum. I thought tonight we'd spend a moment in the spirit of Christmas and Matthew 25 to look at the theological side of this question, and, and hopefully to raise some questions in your own heart and mind as to where you stand on this. I'd like to thank our special guest tonight, Kent Anon, for being with us. Again, the book is called You Welcomed Me, Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us, the new book published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it through Amazon.com or get more information through Kent's website at Kent Anon, A-N-N-A-N, KentAnon.com. All right, Kent, thank you very much. We are at uh, 545 see where we're at traffic-wise. Michael Bennett's got a look at that. Michael, what's up? Oh, little town of Bethlehem How still we see thee lie Above thy deep and dreamless sleep The silent stars go by Indeed they do. And, of course, as we mark the beginning of the holiday season here, and most importantly, the um, special observance of Christmas for believers across the world, once again, for many Bay Area folks, it wouldn't be Christmas without Bethlehem A.D., now in its 26th year. And joining me is the creative director of Bethlehem A.D., Paula Dresden. And, Paul, as always, a very Merry Christmas to you. Well, thank you, and thank you for letting me share about Bethlehem A.D. on your show. This is an amazing experience, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking back over all the years. So we've been on the air 29 years, and I think we've done this just about uh, 24 or 25 of the 26 years that Bethlehem A.D. has been in existence. And, of it's course, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, Paula, this has really become for so many a family tradition, and what a wonderful way to enter into the full spirit of of the Christmas season than to do it with Bethlehem A.D. But for folks that are new, don't know anything about it, tell us a bit about the, about the concept behind Bethlehem A.D. Well, Bethlehem A.D. Uh, tells the story of the first Christmas, and we do it as a gift to the Bay Area. It's totally free. And um, what we do is create the town of Bethlehem 
with all the different aspects. You see uh, centurion Romans and village people, people and folk dancers and such like that. And uh, the guest enters in and sees all this chaos, sort of like our world today. And then they are conclude. It all concludes at the manger, where um, angels are giving glory to God and praising Him for the Savior being born that night. And the guest leaves making their own conclusions about what Christmas is all about, which makes it user-friendly for people who don't know the Lord. And, um, you know, so it's been successful. And, and of course, as you mentioned, it it really gives people a sense of the the reality of Christmas. Um, the, The Christmas story is one, of course, that happened many, many, many years ago. And yet you have been able to come together and really, in in a sense, recreate this. And as much as we've seen it on television or at the movies or read it in stories, literally you bring Bethlehem A.D. to life. Tell us about all of the inner workings. This has got to take months and months and months of preparation and untold numbers of volunteers. Well, it does take a lot of preparation and a lot of volunteers. Everyone works for free, uh, including myself. So uh, each year it's uh, a task for me to try and find new people to fill in others, you know, move on and do other things. And so we're always looking for creative people to come in and give us a hand and also just to come up with ideas. This year's Bethlehem A.D. will run December 21, 22, and 23 nightly from 6 until 9.30 p.m., rain or shine. Walk us through the experience, if you would, folks that come down into uh, downtown um, Redwood City there at uh, 1305 Middlefield Road will be in for quite a surprise. Um, Realism has been sort of the watchword for what you've done down through the years. So kind of walk us through what the experience looks like, Paula. Well, okay. Now, the first thing that they'll see is a large crowd. They'll see um, starcracker lights that shows you where the spot of Bethlehem is. And um, they can be directed when they come to a parking lot. Kaiser Permanente uh, has let us use their parking garage, and we have uh, shuttles going back and forth. It's, a, it's very quick, but it, it allows for parking in downtown Redwood City. And then the next thing they'll encounter is probably a long line. And the line we know is long because we only want uh, uh, to allow a, a, you know, a, a few people, well, no, I shouldn't say few, but as many people as the village can allow for the visitors to have a good time. So the um, the line does get kind of long, but we totally entertain at the line. So you'll see on the line centurions marching back and forth. You'll see animals going up and down, led on leads. And you'll see Herod the Great, who um, is trying to find this king who never does find him, who wants to kill him if he does find him. So that's nice. And he has an entourage of um, dancers around him. And uh, we'll have children in a chain gang who's, um, who have been captured in, um, in Germania or something like that and are being taken down to Rome to be sold as slaves. That's one of the things we've got going up there. And let's see, all greeters and people just going, you know, saying hello, greeting people. So then once you get inside Bethlehem, you'll see um, tax collectors. We, oh, we give coins to everybody to give to the tax collectors. Everything's free. So they give their little gold coin to the tax collector, and then they come on in, and um, they give their signature to the census taker, and they'll encounter now the marketplace, 
And we have a, a potter actually making pottery there. We have kids in the marketplace making uh, metal jewelry that they wear. Then we have a bakery. They're baking bread in the bakery. And then we have uh, a marketplace with vegetables and fruits and stuff. And we're also going to add a spice market this year, so that'll be kind of interesting. And the kids um, are in tribes. They have little rolls to do, and they will uh, give you maybe a nut to taste or something like that. Also, we have a, a synagogue where um, th- there's rabbis debating about who this Messiah could be. So how could the Messiah be sleeping? He's supposed to never sleep nor slumber. So they're debating whether this is the real one. And that's interesting. They're reading scripture, and the kids are in also in the synagogue, um, learning some Hebrew words and stuff like that. And well, then you'll see folk dancers and people cooking over the fires because the cast eats their dinner at Bethlehem. So you'll be seeing people eating and so forth. And then there's this huge area we have for the animals, and so you'll visit. Oh, I forgot the inn. The inn is an exciting area where there's interaction and talk about there's just no room and what happened to Mary and Joseph. They had to send them down the road to the to a stable. And um, then you encounter a lot of animals. We have about 150 animals, including chickens and rabbits, but um, total. And the visitors go by, and they can pet the animals and visit with them and so forth. And then finally they reach the, um, the manger, where we have angels dancing, and um, they are choreographed in their dance. They dance for three and a half hours straight with no break. And so it's really quite beautiful. The church across the street, uh, angels are on the roof, and those are kind of like what we call our warrior angels, and they're doing warrior kind of positions. So the whole thing is just kind of a experience. It, it's really quite it's quite spectacular, and again, many folks across the Bay Area use this as a great way to officially launch the start of their Christmas. Again, running December 21st, 22nd, 23rd, from 6 to 9.30 p.m. each evening, rain or shine. There's no cost. You can get more information by going to BethlehemAD.com. That's BethlehemAD.com. Literally, Bethlehem comes to life in the middle of downtown Redwood City. Look for the searchlights. Make it a part of your Christmas holiday season as well. Bethlehem AD, now in its 26th year. Information again on the web at BethlehemAD.com. Mark the dates, December 21, 22, and 23, from 6 to 9.30 p.m. nightly. And our thanks to Paula Dresden, Creative Director with Bethlehem AD. And we wish you much continued success with this year's event, Paula, and a very Merry Christmas to you. Oh, thank you, Craig. Thanks so much. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.